This session is from the 2022 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. For more information, please visit shepherds360.org. Let me introduce myself. My name is Richard Vargas. I'm the executive director of IFCA International, which is a fellowship of Bible churches, uh, vocational workers, pastors, missionaries, those sorts, um, lay people, member churches and organizations, about 2,000 of us across the world. And uh, we're just thankful to be able to continue on preaching the Bible and holding fast to the Word of Life. And so um, if you have any questions, we do have a table downstairs in the gym over on, if you're facing the stage in the left corner of the gymnasium, I'd love to talk to you if you uh, have any follow-up questions about this seminar or just about IFCA and ministry in general. I'd love to do that. I was a pastor for 17 years at a church in California before we moved to Grand Rapids for me to become the executive director. So um, I'm excited to present this to you. I don't have all the answers, so... Um, I'll try to take some questions at the end. This is a sensitive subject, and there are a lot of nuances here. Um, I am a Bible guy, and so we're going to try to just understand the big picture from Scripture. Um, and then, you know, you're going to have to fill in the blanks with your context because it really is a very difficult issue to cover, especially in 45 minutes. And so if I came in here telling you I'd fix it in 45 minutes... You ought to be suspect because I don't think that's going to happen. But we're going to do our very best to look at what the scriptures say and try to be some help to you in thinking through these uh, these issues biblically. So let me let me pray and then we'll get started. Father, thank you so much for Shepherd Seminary and thank you for uh, Pastor Davy and his leadership. Thank you as well, Lord God, for the church and for this church being a beacon of light in this community. We do pray for all those that are here that represent your people from all over the country, Lord God, all over the world even, and ask you, Father, that you would help us. We are in unique times, and we need to be able to stand firm, uh, strong, and with the conviction of your word and your spirit. We do pray, Lord God, that this discussion would be helpful, and ask you, Father, that if there's anything that I say that isn't based upon your scripture, Lord God, that my brothers and sisters here would just put it aside that they would discount it as the wisdom of men and not from you. We ask your blessing upon this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me just say that this, uh, this subject is, um, the fact that we're even addressing it is, is somewhat of a shocking thing. Because if we had just talked about this 20 years ago, We'd never thought of this as a question. It would never have even been something on our radar. I mean, this is America after all. I mean, why would we even talk about defending our rights as Christians to worship as we deem fit? Um, and brothers and sisters, even though I am primarily addressing this as it has come up in an issue related to restrictions that have been placed upon our churches related to the pandemic of uh, the coronavirus, um, even though we still have the lingering effects. I mean, there's always the scare of something else possibly coming along. Um, Monkeypox didn't really do what they were hoping it would do, so we're going to look for something, <laughs> something else. But, you know, the problem isn't going to go away. Coronavirus might go away. But it has effectively shown to those 
that are making decisions that there is a lot of power in fear. And so things are driven uh, more politically now than they ever have been. And the tides have turned. Uh, the Christian faith has slowly uh, become a threat to our pluralistic, our godless society. And so we need to continue to pray. We need to continue to spread the gospel message. But we need to recognize that our heritage, our Christian heritage as a nation, is largely in our past and that we are living in a new world. Uh, many have said for a long time it is post-Christian, um, and I think that that's probably true, but it is radically and very quickly becoming anti-Christian. It's not just an issue of whether we are post-Christian. You can argue whether or not this was ever a Christian nation. It, it's not my interest to dwell on those things right now. So the subject of where we are is no longer theoretical. <laughs> this is not simply eschatological paranoia. I haven't been reading the Left Behind series lately, and this is why I'm concerned. It's becoming a reality as real as the daily news. And so the question we have before us is, where is the line? When is it enough? I mean, you can, you can look at the scriptures and you realize if you've done what a whole bunch of pastors have done, which our, our eschatology as well as our ecclesiology have been now being worked. We're searching and trying to figure out what does scripture say about me as a pastor, as me as a Christian, me as a church member? Uh, what does it say about the future? What does it say about how I'm supposed to interact with the line? We are told um, from the Bible two things. That we need to be subject to the governing authorities. That's Romans 13 and other places. And we're also told in places like Acts 5.29 that we must obey God rather than men. So that comes to a head in this question. Where do we go? Where do we go? Now I want us to think about some context. As the executive director of IFCA, I oversee a lot of churches and I get a lot of calls and emails and um, instant messaging and all kinds of stuff from a lot of pastors. Every week I get it, and not just from here, I get it from all over the world. Sometimes I'll wake up in the morning and I got messages waiting for me for India or some other country, and they're saying, what do we do or how should we face this? And when the pandemic was in its full-blown lockdown across the world, um, we didn't put out messages right away. We didn't send emails and say, here's how you should respond. And I think that was something that we really didn't see the importance of at first. But looking back now, we start to realize that was the wiser tack to, to take instead of just immediately saying, here's our stand. Here's what we're going to say. Here's the right thing. Uh, I've met so many pastors that, that the coronavirus lockdowns and whether you should meet and whether you shouldn't meet, whether you should enforce masks or whether you shouldn't enforce masks, all that kind of stuff was very divisive in their churches. It just caused the most stress uh, more than any other issue in the church, including the color of the carpet. So that's pretty serious when you got to figure out what's worse than the color of the carpet split. So I, I, for three reasons, uh, we need to think about it, and you need to think about it too, because this will cycle through, whether it's a coronavirus or something else, you need to think about how are you going to respond. And the reason I was reluctant was for three reasons. First of all, I believe in the autonomy of the local church. We are not a denomination. IFC International is an association of like-minded 
uh, organizations, churches, and individuals. And so since we are not a denomination, we really believe that the autonomy of the local church should be in the precedence of who makes this decision. Each church answers to Christ. Each church is to be led by the Holy Spirit as he guides through his word godly elders and deacons and pastors and leaders. And it, should, it would be inappropriate for me back in Grand Rapids, Michigan to tell somebody in Los Angeles, California or New York City, Manhattan or Phoenix, Arizona, this is what you should do. Okay, That's, that's a dangerous thing. That's context. The, the church is autonomous. I believe that the Bible teaches that. Secondly, we did have very different contexts. We are in a post-Christian society, and that means that in the, all kinds of different things that we're looking at, we aren't really sure what's going on in different places. Um, I don't know what the laws necessarily are in a particular township, a particular county, a particular state, a particular country. I don't know what they are. And, and the reason I bring that up is because if you're talking about the coronavirus, remember, there is interpretive controversies about how do we understand the scriptures? What is it saying? What should you be doing? We had some people who were saying, you need, to, you need to meet. And then we had others who were saying, we can't meet. We're in Phoenix, Arizona. It's 120 degrees. And if we meet outside, we're going to bake. And so we have to meet inside if we're going to meet. And others were saying, why, why, are you, why are you fighting against the government? Why don't you just meet? Because they had a nice, beautiful meadow that they met in, in the Midwest, where it's perfect, 74 degrees, and they had this shaded awning, right? We have to remember our context, uh, and we have to understand these interpretive controversies about certain things. Some have less restrictions, other have, others have more restrictions. Uh, Romans 13.1, you guys are familiar with this. All authority is established by God. But we're also supposed to obey God and not men. Acts. So we're going to not get into these passages so much as just to think about how these things work themselves out. We have to be gracious. We have to be patient. There's sin and then there's conviction, right? There is sin, and then there is conviction. What is sin? Can somebody define for me what is sin? Missing the mark, transgression of the law. Now let's be practical. If you're a pastor and somebody comes into you and they're very sensitive in their conscience, say, Pastor, I went to the, I went to the Walmart, and when I was at Walmart, I bought bananas. And the, and the computer asked me, how many bananas did I have? And I put in the computer, I had three bananas, Pastor. And I'm going to cry just talking about it because I actually had four bananas and I didn't realize it, Pastor. I'm a thief. Right? What are you going to say? You didn't sin. You didn't steal. Go back and pay for the extra banana. But you're not a thief. You didn't steal. You didn't do this intentionally. And we all see that there's lots and lots of ways throughout our lives where we take the scriptures and we apply it because there are some things that are clearly sin. And then there are some things that are strong convictions. We could probably split the room over the issue of alcohol. We could probably split the room over a lot of controversial things. But there are some things that you have to look at scriptures and you have to understand that there are things that are clearly sin and there are things that are not. And when you have an issue like the coronavirus, is it a sin to wear a mask or not? 
Well, some people said, yes, it's a sin if you don't love your neighbor and not wear a mask. And some said, no, it's not a sin. It's actually a sin if you wear the mask because you're following man-made laws. You know, we're not going to get into it. This is the issue, right? We have to be gracious. We have different contexts. We have different convictions. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians. We're not going to look to a lot of passages. This isn't a preaching time, but... 1 Thessalonians 5. And as we're thinking about these things, I want us just to reflect on this. 1 Thessalonians 5. You know, the early church, when it faced wave after wave of persecution, wave after wave of persecution, there were some that gave in there were some that recanted their faith. There were some that pinched some incense to Caesar and said, Caesar is Lord. And then the church was struggling with, what do we do with these people? Are they apostates? Are they so far gone that they can't be readmitted into the church? Because when the pressure starts to build, we have to start thinking about How do we deal with these different convictions and issues and how do we deal with them under the authority and the pressure of persecution? 1 Thessalonians 5.14, let me me just read. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Now, in our churches, we're going to have a whole mixture of different people that feel different convictions about different things. And there are going to be some who are going to say, this is absolutely sin. And there are going to be some that say, that's not my conviction. I don't feel that. And we're going to have to wade through it with the wisdom of Solomon and figure out which one of these babies do we need to split in half because they are difficult things. But we can start with at least this. Let's be gracious. Let's be patient. Let's sit down and talk through these things from Scripture. And let's be understanding. So in our time, I'd look at, like to look at two main passages to remind us of what the Word says about our relationship with the civil authorities and give some examples of when we need to cross the line and then just make a few observations. I want us to look at this in three different ways. The general rule, what does scripture say generally? Secondly, when that line is crossed, and by the way, I'm not going to tell you when that line is crossed because, again, we don't know. We're going to have to examine it according to what it is and whether it's sin and what our conscience is saying, all those things. It's very complicated. But the general rule, what are we supposed to do generally? And then when we have to cross the line, some considerations before we disobey authorities. And then finally, when we must defy authority. When it's no longer just your conviction. And what do we expect when that happens? Well, let's talk about the general rule. You can find it in different passages. Be in subjection to the governing authorities. That's the general rule. Okay, It's in Romans 13. It's also in Titus 3 and 1 Peter 2. It's worded slightly different in each one of them. But all of them generally remind us that God has established all authority. The reality is that belief in Jesus Christ needs to impact all of our life. 
And that truth explains Paul's call for wives to submit to their husbands. It also explains John the Baptist's call for Roman soldiers to stop extorting people and be satisfied with their wages. It explains the reason that Zacchaeus gave back the money he cheated in his tax collecting business. It explains how Paul went from a violent hater of Christians to the apostle to the Gentiles. Because the gospel has an impact on all of life. As Jesus saves us, he starts to conform us. He starts to shape us into his image. And the ethos of the day in which Paul lived in the Roman Empire could be best summed up in the phrase dog-eat-dog world. Now, you need to know that because the passages that we have here, particularly the ones during Paul's time, are written during this idea. The weak are discarded. And when I say that, I mean the weak are discarded literally, thrown away, unwanted, left for somebody to pick up. You know who survived in Paul's day? It was the strong. It was the conniving. It was the sneaky. It was the user. It was the abuser. Those are the ones that moved up in the ranks of society. If you were weak, if you were tender, if you were innocent, if you were helpless, then you better toughen up or you find someone who could watch out and care for you or else you wouldn't last long. It's in that context that we find the biblical admonitions to care for the weak, for the powerless, for the poor, for the widow, for the orphan, and that God watches out for them because they were the ones that would be trampled on in society. In addition to these things that we need to remember, we also need to remember the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. The reason that was established by the Roman government, which kept it with an iron fist, was that we will have peace and we will have it at the end of a sword. So when you became a Christian, you didn't fit in the society in many ways. But some attitudes, some habits die hard even for Christians. And so as Paul is writing to the Roman church, even as he's writing in Romans 13, he wrote knowing that there's an underlying outlook in regard to the government. An underlying outlook that came in the society that they were born and raised in and now being new creatures in Jesus Christ are having to adjust because the attitude in their hearts, the attitude that they grew up with is that the government says if you don't take care of yourself, if you don't look for yourself, look out for yourself, you're going to be taken advantage of. The empire is ruled by an egomaniacal tyrant king named Nero. He lived lavishly, and he did it on the backs of the poor. He did it at the expense of the people that nobody else cared for, and he especially cared nothing about. And it would be totally easy to discount Nero because of that. But add to that the fact that the Roman emperor had not been kind to Christians that he had been hurting them and persecuting them and wrangling them and imprisoning them, it added salt to the wounds. And that's background to inform us of what the scriptures tell us about many things in the Christian life, that when Christ saved us, he also changed us and he expects us to bear the fruit of the Spirit in every area of life. 
And just as the Christian wife can't refuse to submit to her unloving, unfaithful, unkind husband, just as the Christian soldier need to be content with his weak, meager wages, even though the government should have paid him more, and although the Christian tax collector needed to collect only what was legal and necessary, so too every Christian is to submit to put himself under the authority of the government. And that doesn't say only democratic republics. It doesn't only say a freedom-loving democracy, but that Christians must submit to tyrant kings, to communists, and to social dictators, to petty rulers of every kind, because God has established even those governments. The military term that's translated be subject speaks of a subordinate soldier putting himself under the authority of a commanding officer. And there is no room for questioning his orders. There is no room, only immediate obedience. The rightness of the government, the commanding officer's rightness in his order doesn't come into play, not at this point, because in an ordered society, there can't be that sort of questioning. If there was, we'd have anarchy. If every foot soldier in the army, if every airman, if every marine, if every seaman said, wait, let me look at all the facts before I decide whether I'm going to follow your orders. It would be anarchy. We would not have order and we won't have it in society if we believe in what the society currently is telling us is that the only boss is you. It's all about self. And so the scriptures are needed even now that we submit to the governing authorities. Or we will have anarchy. So that's the general rule, being subject to the governing authorities. God's established all authority. But not only that, government has a restraining effect upon evil. Even wicked regimes, such as those that are under communist rule, have that effect. This is what Paul's referring to here. In, first, in Romans 13. You know when the Iron Curtain fell? In USSR, when the Iron Curtain fell, not only did persecuted Christians, but it, it, it didn't just set them free to come in. It didn't set free the uh, worship of Christians. But that Iron Curtain also kept out the cults. It kept out all kinds of false doctrine. It was only when the USSR fell that the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses and the other cults came in. And for the most part, we need to follow the laws of the land, even when we might not always see them as helpful. The Lord doesn't give us that option. He doesn't say, obey the governing authorities as long as you agree with them. And the obvious exception are those wicked laws. As a matter of fact, let's just be honest. Some laws are just ridiculous. They're absolutely ludicrous, but we still obey them because we're Christians. We are commanded by God to obey them. And the third reason under this general rule is submission in a quiet life adorn the gospel. We forget that too. Titus 3, 1 and 2 says basically the same thing as Romans 13. When the Christian church seeks to live according to the rule of law, 
will be a blessing to the nation that we live in. See, this isn't just about America. This is about what the scriptures teach for the whole world. I think we all agree about this. And I think for the most part, we all probably try to live like this up until recently. Up until recently. And now we start getting these questions. Well, yeah, but things are different. Things are changed. When's enough enough? In 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 16, it says some more similar things, but there's one notable difference that Peter adds in verse 15. He says this in the ESV, For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Again, it reiterates that this is the will of God, and he gives a good answer, because it silences our critics. Right now, it doesn't matter how good the Christian church is. The enemies of Christ are constantly looking at us, looking for excuses, looking for reasons to point their finger at us. And so you need to be aware, if not before, especially now, because it is not just you and it's not just your church, it is Jesus Christ that they will bring reproof upon, reproach upon. And so we need to work at thinking through what am I about to do? What am I about to say? What are we about to do as a church? And is this appropriate? What will the watching world say? That's not our standard. We're not man pleasers. But we have to be wise as serpents as well as gentle as doves. Because it may show up on the news. So... That's the general rule. Just obey. Maybe dumb. May not be fair. May not be right. But we obey as much as we're able to do. So, what about if we have to disobey? What if we're starting to wonder, where's the line? Do I cross it or not? Well, I can't tell you exactly when to do that or not to do that when you need to speak up, when you need to act against the ordinances of your authorities, whether that's local, state, or federal. I can't tell you that. Again, it's context. It's context. But we have to have some considerations first. The passages that we looked at have set the standard for us. Okay. When we think that we've come to the point where we might need to disobey, we need to make sure that we are not simply acting out of rebellion. Okay, Remember the standard. You're not acting out of rebellion. You're not acting out of a sinful motivation. Are you sure? Are you certain that the reason why you feel you need to cross this line is godly? And we can fool ourselves and make a lot of bad stuff godly. And we got to make sure that we're not doing that. Sometimes we get this, and I think it's just a, a part of being an American is that we just have this sense of freedom. You can't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to do. This is America. When I moved from California to uh, Michigan, I was looking up the gun laws. I had this shotgun and I want to make sure I didn't get in trouble traveling across the country with a shotgun in my car. So I looked up the laws in Michigan to make sure I was all right when I got there. And I looked at my wife. I was on the computer, right? And I looked at my wife. I said, honey, we're moving to the land of the free and the home of the brave. 
I can walk down the middle of our neighborhood straight with my shotgun in my hand and not get arrested. I show up. Yeah. If, you don't have to register a shotgun. A shotgun? No. I just came from there. And, uh, uh, you don't have to. You know, well, you didn't, at least four years ago when I did it. I, I, I hold a BB gun in my hand in L.A., and they got helicopters and SWAT, and they throw me on the ground. And even though it's a BB gun, I'll still go to jail. It's crazy, right? Well, have you spent some time in prayer? Have you spent some time in prayer? Have you sought wise counsel from godly people? You know, sometimes we don't pray because we don't want to know what God says. It's like, I, I got this, Lord. I know what this is. I'm just going to do it. They don't have any right to tell me. We're a church. We can do whatever we want to do. We don't want to talk to other people because we know. We know. So make sure. That's the standard. Second, can you point to some specific scriptural texts or some principles that are drawn from scripture that lay out why we must obey God rather than men. I don't mean some vague or some janky exegesis, something that you read on the internet that just sounds totally made up, that was it could be posted in the National Enquirer, that's just not true. I'm talking about actual stuff. Nothing that you saw on conservative news stuff. Have you ever heard those lawyers that claim that you should be able to get a... Um, get a bankruptcy because of the law of, you know, Jubilee, you know, you, all debtors are set free. Like, yeah, Christian, don't worry. God's not going to be mad at you. You don't have to pay those bills. And I'm like, what? So if, if your reasoning is coming out of that kind of Bible study, then you know that's not genuine. But really, if you're looking at it, if they're telling you, Pastor, if you start calling out in your pulpit from the Word of God, what God's intention for marriage is that it's only a man and it's only a woman. If you start saying stuff like that, you're going to go to jail for a hate crime. Let's go. That's right. Let's go. You get a jail ministry. You're all right. You're going to do it because God's word says it, that's what it is. It is. You, you don't have any any leeway there. It, there's no argument there. It's clearly if I now if you hadn't said that. If you hadn't threatened me, I wouldn't have preached it anyways. But now that you said I shouldn't do that, now for sure I'm going to preach it. Right? So can you point to something specific? That'll, that'll help us. We live in a very politically charged time right now. And it'll help us guard against imposing political ideologies into our decision. Or even sometimes our own leaders pressuring us, Right? they pushing you. Come on, pastor. Haven't you read? Haven't you seen? I just heard a, you know, a podcast. You got to listen to this podcast, pastor. It's like, show me in the Bible. <coughs> well, pastor, you're all about the Bible. Bible, Bible, Bible. Yes, I'm all about the Bible. I'm a Christian. So make sure that it is scriptural. And in doing that, we need to work hard at interpreting the scriptures accurately, according to a literal hermeneutic. And then the third consideration, you need to ask yourself, have I exhausted all other means? Have I tried everything else? Have I sought to, to build some bridges that are a middle ground for the church and the authority that I'm about to cross the line with? I remember at, in the early days of the shutdowns, I got, a, I got an email from a, a local IFCA church not far from us. 
And uh, it said, hey, we came up with this plan. Can you read it and let me know what you think? And it was this long, detailed, multi-page plan. And I was like, we're going to open. And it was to the health department for their county. So we're going to open. Here's how we're going to deal with it. Now, this is before anybody was doing this. And this was, everybody was just shut down at that point. And this, and this plan from, this is a good sized church. This plan said, we're going to separate everybody by so many chairs and so many uh, aisles are going to be closed off. We're going to have everybody go in one door and out another door. We're going to make sure that the bathrooms flow one way through this. And we're going to have uh, sanitary stations and stuff like that. Nobody had been doing that yet. This was the early, early days. And he put in his email to me, he said, you know, this is a letter that we're going to send to the uh, head of the health department in our county. And notice we're not asking them for permission. We're telling them we are going to open. This is the day we're going to open. And here is the plan that we have in conjunction with meeting with several medical officials in our church. It was a great plan. I mean, I had a lot of churches asking me, what do you think we should do? I said, your, your context is different. You're a, a smaller church in a different area. But here's what one church is doing. And I sent them the plan with his permission. I said, here's what they're doing. Think through that. Sit down. Talk with your people. See if there's a possibility you can do something like this. But see, they were wise. They were communicating. And they, it was a very pleasant letter. It wasn't hard. It wasn't like, forget you. We're going to do what we're going to do. No, it was like, here, we, we, we're so thankful for you. We regularly pray for you. And we've been considering the situation that's probably very difficult for you. But here's what we are planning to do. On this date, we're going to open. And they laid it all out. You see, they thought through all the repercussions. And they, they built bridges. They felt, they felt like a middle ground with this authority was going to help them. Do you remember when, David, or excuse me, when Daniel and his friends were facing the challenge? They were being told, you're going to eat this food. Do you notice what they did? They didn't give in. They didn't slap the plate out of the guy's hand. They came and brought it to them either, did they? No. They went up and they spoke kindly and graciously to the man and said, can we, can we maybe try this? Give us an opportunity. Serve us these, and it depends on your translation, right? Some of it says cereal, some of it's vegetables, probably some kind of grains of some type, but it wasn't unclean. Just serve us this for this period of time and then see, determine whether or not we look as healthy as everybody eating the stuff we can't eat. They reasoned. They didn't just go on a hunger strike. They didn't revolt. They didn't cuss the guy out. I mean, they actually looked for an alternative. So we need to ask ourselves, have, have we communicated with the authorities our concerns? Have we gone through the appropriate channels so that we can be treated fairly. Remember when Paul was jailed? He was jailed and then he was questioned at his trial. And then he was left in jail to await a bribe. And then when he didn't give the bribe and was forgotten, the next guy came along and retried Paul. And Paul said, finally, forget it. I appeal to Caesar. Then they acted like, oh, we were going to let him out, but he appealed to Caesar, so now he's got to go to Caesar. He was patient. He waited. He made his appeal. He argued for his side. He was respectful even though he was in jail and even though he was absolutely innocent, and yet he appealed. These steps are going to assure us that we're doing everything we can do to obey God 
Remember, he's the one that commanded us to submit to the governing authorities and that we've not become offensive to our non-believing neighbors. And we also need to remember that once we open the door, once we open the door of civil disobedience, we may face harsh consequences when the authorities hold us accountable for breaking their laws. So don't slam that door open and run in. The government wields a sword. Let's not treat that lightly. God gave them the sword. So what happens when we have to cross that line? We just see it's just it's not going to happen. And, and unfortunately, this is a reality. This is a reality that we may most likely have to face very soon. I don't know when. I'm not a prophet. But that's the way things seem to be trending in our country. First of all, again, we have to remain respectful. We have a lot of examples of this in the Bible. Daniel and his friends were respectful. In chapter 1, verse 8, when they addressed the king's steward, they were respectful. If you look, look at the language of the way that they spoke to him, they were very respectful. Even when, in Daniel chapter 3, verse 9, when Nebuchadnezzar commanded them to bow to the statue, they were respectful. We will not bow down, O king. And God will save us. If he does not, let it be known to you, O king. You see, they're very, very gracious. You have to remain respectful. Remember, we are a testimony. <coughs> Secondly, we have to continue in prayer. You know, it's interesting that when Daniel knew he was going to be thrown into the lion's den, he still prayed, didn't he? In Daniel 6.10, says he went up just as he always did, prayed three times a day. He went up, opened his windows up, and he continued to pray. He knew he'd be thrown in the lion's den. When Peter and John were threatened, they were told to stop preaching. They went back, and the church lifted up prayers for boldness. Uh, you got to read that in Acts 4.23 and following. I don't have time to do that right now. But you need to read that, because what's incredible is that they go back, they tell what happens, they rejoice, they begin a great prayer which highlights the sovereignty of God. God's in charge of all of this. And then they don't pray for revenge, they don't pray for safety, they don't pray for God to stop the persecution. They say that's not going to happen. God could cause that to happen, but that's not going to happen. God give us boldness in the face of persecution. They pray. We need to pray. We need to pray that we wouldn't compromise in the face of Similar persecution. And that we would continue in boldness. Pray. It's not the time to stop praying. It's the time to start praying harder. And then thirdly, we need to understand that immediate salvation may or may not come. Remember, you open this door. Standing before you is the government wielding a sword. Daniel's three friends were still thrown in the fiery furnace. Daniel was still thrown in the lion's den. Now, in their case, God did save them, but they had to go through the trauma of being thrown in with the lions. They had to go through the trauma of being thrown into the fiery furnace. God still saved them miraculously, but that wasn't promised. The apostles, on the other hand, were all martyred, except for one. Every single one of those men of God died a martyr's death. And Hebrews 11, 
32 to 40 speaks of the mixture, some being given immediate victory and those who died for their faith. See, us being courageous, us standing up, us being bold, us resisting authority, we may have to do that. But if you do that, do not think that that buys you a ticket to get away with it. You may get picked up, you may be thrown in jail, you may be worse. Know that. That's not to cause us to fear. That's just so that we would have wisdom and knowing what I'm about to do. And I may be sweeping my whole church in with me. I need to be wise. The outcome will be victory. But it may mean that we'll suffer or even die for our stand. I don't know how long this is. I would imagine that every generation thinks that somehow they will be the last generation before Jesus returns in the clouds for his church. Now that's both exciting and sobering. I always think about that. I think, you know what? Jesus may come again. And I won't have to worry about any of this. Praise the Lord. We may be called to suffer terribly for Christ. The question we need to ask ourselves is, are we ready? I'm not so sure about the American church being ready. But that doesn't mean that God hasn't given us this opportunity right now. This heat, these struggles, these difficulties, these challenges to wake us up and say, it's coming. Start getting ready. Because it's not a question of if. If I'm reading my Bible right, it's not a question of if. It's a question of when. Right now, we've been given a short time to prepare. So my prayer is that we devote ourselves to grounding the church in the faith. Once for all, delivered to the saints. So that in whatever the days ahead may bring us, whatever may come our way, we are prepared. If we avoid persecution, if the things start getting better and better, hey, if the post-millennialists are right, well then praise the Lord. I'm not looking forward to persecution. But if it starts to come, if the days keep growing darker, if they lead us right into Jesus' return, I think we need to be ready. It may be new for us in America, but you know what? Christians for almost 2,000 years have faced persecution And the Lord Jesus has been faithful to bring them through it all. It's not a question of whether we're strong enough, because Christ will carry us. He is our anchor. He is our rock. He is our fortress. He is our redeemer. And brothers and sisters, he is enough. May the Lord help us as we move forward. May we be as gentle as doves, but wise as serpents. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful for the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. We thank you for your word that gives us parameters for how we can face the future and to do so biblically. The answers are not simple, but you have given us your spirit and you have given us your word. You have given us one another in the church. And so we pray that we would make use of all of these resources, that you would help us, Lord God. And I pray that you would give us the courage and boldness just as you gave the apostles in the early church. 
that we would continue to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ without any fear of men. And when the time comes, Lord, where we need to cross that line, when we no longer can submit to the governing authorities, help us. Help us and carry us forward as you have done to Christians for 2,000 years. It's in Christ Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this session from the 2022 Shepherds 360 Church Leaders Conference. This material is copyrighted and may not be altered or sold. For information, please visit shepherds360.org.